Um, what do you say to the protagonist who say, ah, personal branding's rubbish. It actually comes down to your product and your marketing and less about who you are as the CEO or the person actually behind the brand. Well, I completely disagree because I think you can have a, a great product and you can be great for marketing, but if you're a prick, no one wants to buy from you, <laughs> right? That's the absolute truth because there is that always that human element <laughs> behind it. So I think it's it's really uh, your personal brand determines your personality, your characteristics, how you engage, whether you're trustworthy. Uh, it's all the softer issues mm. that I think a product and service model doesn't address. Authenticity. You know, being authentic is more difficult in this day and age, and yet it is more vital than ever before. It's about more than differentiating yourself from the crowd. You see, being truly authentic requires diving into a deep reservoir of patience and understanding. It's taking the time to deconstruct the victories and defeats that make you who you are and having the self-awareness to reflect on your own narrative and using your newly acquired knowledge to write your own hero's journey. Today I'm joined by none other than the massively passionate and successful Kate Moodley, professional speaker and businesswoman and the author of I Inc., Join us for an exciting episode as we discuss the importance of owning your own unique personal brand and how to navigate yourself and team as an inspirational leader. So without further ado, enter Kate Moodley. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to another cracking installment of the Matt Brown Show. Today I'm privileged and honored to have with me in the studio, in the hot seat, Kate Moodley. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. Nice renter crowd you brought here today. I did. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> it just, I get older, they stay the same age. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Kate, uh, why don't you fill us in on like the backstory? Like, who is Kate Woodley? Where shall we kick off this particular story? So I think there's the the academic version. Um, so I, I mean, I grew up in a town called Clarkstop, which is in the northwest province. I lived there till I was 18. Went on to study at University of Natal, well now known as KZN, and then uh, completed a degree in law. Um, interestingly enough, when I uh, served my articles, I absolutely hated what I was doing. Um, I kind of was typically had that Sunday feeling of. When I get up, oh, I've got to go to work the next day and I really don't want to do this. Quite a challenging space to be in because you've studied a degree for five years. You would expect to sort of navigate yourself into that space yeah. and build a career. Um, then I always say I ended up in insurance by default. Um, I joined Momentum. I mean, firstly Old Mutual and then Momentum. And that kind of where I think my career trajectory, there was trajectory in terms of it. And then, about nine years ago, I was approached by Discovery to sort of uh, take over an existing business at that point. And I've been with them ever since. And I love the concept of sort of running my own company mm. under the flagship of, of such a great brand. And that's uh, me in a nutshell from a career perspective. I'm extremely passionate about uh, two concepts specifically around personal branding. I actually wrote a book on it mm. a couple of years back and uh, the concept of authentic leadership, which mm. is what I'm focusing on today. So walk us through, I mean, obviously the book. So the first one, we'll get into the other ones in a yes. sec. But uh, so talk about talk to us about personal branding. Why did you decide to write that? I think the, the trigger point for me was when I actually made that shift from uh, sort of being in a corporate space and then becoming an entrepreneur under a different brand. What I realized at that point is actually irrelevant what product you're selling. It became about your personal brand and whether people trusted you and whether they believed you could actually mm. deliver. And that kind of led to the conversation about how important it is, irrespective of whether you're running your own business or you're in a corporate space to sort of develop your own personal brand and kind of decide what it stands for. Mm. And it's not just about, you know, your characteristics. It actually goes beyond that. How do you navigate yourself in business and how do you navigate yourself in, a, in an organization to be successful? Mm. And that kind of led to the thinking of understanding what is your narrative in that space and, and how do you change the narrative? It's really a question about what are people saying about you when you're not present? It's not about you standing up in the morning and saying, I'm fabulous, which we all can do so, but your opinion carries you to a certain extent. Mm. 
um, but your trajectory in business and in and in in an organization, a corporate setup, is typically very dependent on other individuals. And people want to engage with you based on what your capabilities are and what you can deliver. Mm. So I do think, and I'm a firm believer, that your brand or personal brand is exceptionally powerful mm. uh, in terms of where you end up from a success level. Yeah, I agree. Mav says that he's fabulous every day when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so what do you say to people that say personal branding is bullshit? Um, so Christopher Lockett, funny enough, uh, was on the show, um, when was it, last week? And basically he said it's bullshit. In what context, though? What did he, can you remember what he said, guys? He basically, I think he was saying that it's, I think he was talking about it in the context of like owning a market or a category. Like your personal brand has got nothing to do with it. Do you know what I mean? Like I built a massive personal brand, so I actually disagree yeah. with him and I kind of, I'm more in your kind of yeah. camp. Um, what do you say to the protagonist who say, ah, personal branding's rubbish. It actually comes down to your product and your marketing and less about who you are as the CEO or the person actually behind the brand. Well, I completely disagree because mm. I think you can have uh, a great product and you can be great for marketing, but if you're a prick, no one wants to buy from you, <laughs> right? That's the absolute truth because there is that always that human element <laughs> behind it. So I think it's, it's really uh, your personal brand determines your personality, your characteristics, mm. how you engage, whether you're trustworthy. Uh, it's all the softer issues mm. that I think a product and service model doesn't address. Mm. So I think product is hardcore. It's uh, tangible. But I think a personal brand is intangible, and I think it's absolutely critical in in a business space. Where do you start with personal branding? Is it like as materialistic as like what clothing you wear, or is it kind of the content you put out? Is it your narrative? Is it what you stand for? Is it what you talk about? Yeah. Is it finding your authentic voice? Is it all of those sorts of things? Where does one Start. So I think the starting point, Matt, is literally actually kind of understanding your circle of influence. So when I, what I mean by that is kind of asking in your space, your team, what do they really think of you? Um, and, and what is They'll the constructive feedback? They'll never tell me to my face, though. <laughs> well, but I think what's critical is kind of getting that kind of feedback. And I say, it, don't go to people that make you comfortable because, you know, that I call a concept of elective blindness. You know, we, in society, we tend to sort of navigate towards people that make us feel good. In order to truly grow, you sort of need to place yourself in that uncomfortable position. So that would be your starting point. I think social media plays a very big part of who we are today. Um, I'm not a, I'm not saying that I'm a, not a fan of it, but I think it, it kind of places us or gives us an opportunity and a soapbox to share our opinions and thoughts. And a lot of business is done through social media today. And you know, if you've looked at how businesses have evolved, they've evolved massively into that space. So I think if you're looking at building your brand, um, what, on whatever concept it is, it's critical to sort of make sure that you've navigated that really well on, on the social media platform, but also become an expert. You know, branding is also not about being everything to everyone. Uh, branding mm. is about sort of defining who you are and actually becoming really, really good at it uh, and developing those competencies and skills around that um, and then taking it forward from there. So kind of like knowing what makes you different. Absolutely. Finding that unique selling proposition or unique mm. value system. Um, mm. And it's not necessarily linked to sort of a talent or, you know, it's something that would make you stand up head above shoulders amongst anybody else. You know, what makes you different to someone that's doing something similar to you? It's that innovation. It's about kind of bringing something new to the market. Uh, but there has to be authenticity in it. You know, people don't like brands that are inauthentic. You don't relate to someone that's inauthentic. You relate to people that are authentic. And there's, there's huge literature and thinking around that. Mm. Um, in order for you to drive the right narrative, you've got to be true and people relate better when they understand you in an authentic manner. Mm. A lot of people battle to kind of express that or themselves though in, a, in an authentic way. Yeah. You know, out of fear of judgment or whatever the case is, it's nice to, you know, in theory talk about, yeah, I know you must speak your truth, but people don't. Mm. I think it you is know? difficult, but it's a maturity thing. Mm. I think as, as you develop your level of EQ, you know, and, and EQ is a very uh, topical issue right now versus IQ. Mm. I remember uh, doing a course in Harvard in December on, on EQ versus IQ and how critical it is today in our space. And EQ is not about self-control. EQ is having the ability to sort of motivate yourself, kind of look at your blind spots and 
take it from there. And I think as we progress in life, if you want to sh- sort of spend the time in developing yourself as an individual and, and you kind of unpack yourself, you become more comfortable with who you are, then you navigate towards this authentic sort of self without worrying too much about people being judgmental. The irony with that though, Matt, is that people are less judgmental of you if you are truthful. You know, people, mm. people are, they relate better because they can say to you, well, oh, I've experienced something similar, I kind of have the same challenges. And the problem with social media today is that it always paints the best picture. Mm. You know, I think of friends of mine, um, <clears throat> when I look at them on, on social media, I think, wow, they have such a wonderful life. But when you have a real conversation with them, depressed, the, yeah, depressed or they're in financial ch- difficulties or, so I'm, so it, there's such a disconnect and I think there's such social pressure to be a type of person on social media to what they really are. And, and I think as individuals, we've got to ha- be mindful of that, you know, that we, we don't move away from being authentic. Um, mm. you can, you, you cannot relate or you relate less to people on that level. So what were you doing in Harvard? I, I started a course on authentic leadership itself. Um, so I did my first part in December mm. and it was an amazing journey. It was quite funny because at the same time they were running several courses. So one was in strategy, one was in authentic leadership and some other, other innovation courses. And we ended up mixing with a whole lot of people uh, from different parts of the world. And I ended up sitting in a, on a table with other guys from the strategy section. And then he asked us, like, what course were you doing? I said, no, we're doing the one on authentic leadership. He says, oh, is that the one where you all are crying? <laughs> so I was like, okay, is that kind of the perception of it? But the reason I was sharing that is it was such a deep dive. You know, it was really going really into your soul and into your mm-hmm. history and, and understanding what is your, what is the great narrative that you tell yourself and what is the self-doubt narrative and where do you sort of spend most of your time as an individual? And interestingly enough, it's easier for us as human beings to spend more time in the self-doubt narrative versus the great story. Mm. And yeah, it was an amazing journey. I'm still on it. I still have three more, two more parts to complete and then I will be done. So I'm interested in that practically. Unpack it for me. Use me as your soundboard. Great okay. story. Help me figure that out. Okay. So let's, let's look at, uh, so what, when we talk about your great story, we talk about, um, what are, the, the things that if you look at your life at the moment, what are the things that you're grateful for? Um, what do you think, what do you view as successful? Um, what do you view as truly the tick boxes in your life? So if you look at your picture where it is right now, you've got a successful business, you've got a successful show, it's kind of externally showing all the right sort of ticks. Whereas if you take it to the self-doubt narrative, it really is digging deep to sort of understand what are your crucibles as an individual? What are the pains that you've been through? What are the pains that you're still going through that makes you who you are? So, um, for example, if, if one of the self-doubt narratives is I've set up a couple of businesses and they've not been successful, mm. your focus would be on the unsuccess of those businesses versus what you're doing now. And the question really to you is, or to all of us is, where do we spend most of our time in? And, and I always think of, um, examples of things that sort of take me into a self-doubt space. Um, I always think of, uh, the loss of my sister as an example. It always puts me into that space mm. because I always think that I could have done more and I could have spent more time with her as an individual. And that's kind of what takes the, the wind out of my sails as an example. Um, or am I really being the best mom or wife, um, at the moment. And there's things that you question yourself and on a leadership level on a daily basis. So I think that's kind of where you navigate through it. Mm. I think it's important to do both. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't, it's like, uh, what's that saying? Uh, light can't exist without the dark. Absolutely. So you need to, you need to have both in order to get that perspective, right? Yeah. Otherwise it, it's like, Take, for instance, your sister. Like, how old was she when she passed? 46. Really? Mm. What did she pass from? Cancer. Cancer. Yeah, that sucks, man. Um, So I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But, you know, when you think about her, it's, you know what I mean? Like, it it motivates you. It gets you clearer on what your true fucking north is. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And then now you immediately, the way that you look at your kids, the way that you look at your husband, all of that changes. 
Do and you, know you have I mean? such an appreciation for yeah, life exactly. completely. Like you just mm. look at your life, your health, your family in a different light, completely mm. different light. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's critical because those kind of crucibles that we go through, as I, as I mentioned earlier on to you, is that that kind of narrates, it kind of gives us our narrative. It kind mm. of gives us our direction as to where we're going and who we, who we're becoming. Mm. Interestingly enough, I was engaging with a coach recently on, on leadership and, and, what he said was when he defined this concept of authentic leadership, he said it's about how much of time you spend sort of understanding yourself. And he says that we get so caught up in the, the day to day running every single day and we, you know, just kind of operationally and we don't, uh, we don't really spend that time digging deep. And he sees that's his benchmark is how much of time do leaders today or in any individual don't have to be in a position of leadership to be spend in that self growth space, understanding who we are. And then he asked me a question of why do I want to embark on this coaching journey? And I said, the, the main reason is that I want to make sure that I have the best influence over my kid because a lot of it in terms of our upbringing is about our surroundings and mm. what, what we taught and you never blame your history for it, but you learn from it. But I think in order to teach my son as an example, to be high on EQ, I need to be okay with myself as a person first. And, and it's a journey that you've got to embrace and kind of acknowledge uh, really, really well before you sort of pass it on to someone else and the impact that we will have. Our kids emulate everything we do. So it's it's critical that, and I agree with what he said, was that it's critical to sort of place that time, that value of time on that self-reflection and digging deep and understanding who you are as an individual and why you respond in certain situations the way you do. You know, I, I was listening to a talk show the other day and they were talking about what gets your back up, you know, um, comments, sexist comments as an example. Why would it get your back up? There must be something that's triggered it in the past that gets you thinking in a certain way. So it's critical to be in touch with those kind of emotions to understand who you are as a person and how you respond well and how do you create your narrative going forward and what you want to influence. Mm. Yeah, there's a big questions though, hey? Like, Very. Like who are you? I don't know. Do I really care? Because it's like I don't like giving you know your mind questions that it can't answer easily. Or if you're I mean? not prepared to, right? I yeah, because it just puts you under duress. Like, what's yeah. the purpose of my life? I don't fucking know. Hopefully you care enough, though. Yeah. Like, uh, what's the meaning of life? Yeah. Uh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. live it. You know what I mean? So my point is, is that it's good to ask the questions sometimes, but then be prepared not to have good answers. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, um, but behaviorally, that's a different thing, yeah. you know? Um, <clears throat> so when, when we lose a, a potential deal or something goes wrong, like a staff member has to leave or yeah. resigns or whatever, like, is that failure? Is it rejection? Or is it just the way that it is? Do I have a problem with reality? Fuck yes. Mm. <laughs> you know you what have I mean? A, you have a problem with how it impacts the but, situation, right? But you can yeah. you can recognize patterns, yeah, and that then allows you to change behavior. Correct. So on that level, you can change things. It's like I can't change what the meaning of life is mm. necessarily. Do you know what I mean? But if I can change how I respond to, say, something negative happening inside the business, mm. do you know what I mean? Leadership, for instance, because it's it is yeah. about how you respond. Yeah. I can't respond to life questions like yeah. that. You know, like yeah. purpose. Like how do you? fundamentally shift what that is for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I totally agree with you. I think um, those deep life questions are more intrinsic, right? It's all about where you are as an individual. And I don't agree necessarily think that everybody's ready to go into that space. But if you, are, if you have a level of consciousness, like the example that you quoted, um, let's say a staff member leaves, it's critical that you don't go into the space of saying, oh, they left and that's their problem kind of thing. Kind of introspect or have the EQ enough to introspect in your space to sort of see were there circumstances in your space that kind of contributed towards that. And if they didn't um, well enough, then that's fine. You continue the way you did. But if it did, then navigate yourself towards that change. Um, and I think it was in that book, um, The Art, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Okay, if, right? <laughs> so one of the best reads, I don't know if you've had an What's opportunity. The title again? Sorry. The su- <laughs> Can you start? I'll finish it. <laughs> the subtle art of not. <laughs> Giving a fuck. <laughs> 
So I loved the the thinking in that book because it was really about taking ownership and accountability for things that happen. And the one example that uh, the author quoted was in a relationship where this, this, this particular individual cheated on him, right? And, uh, he was quite upset about it. And, uh, and he says, yeah, well, it was her, it was extrinsic because she had done it and she made that choice, which is up to a point he, he agreed. But when he kind of reflected on the situation, he reflected on how badly he had contributed towards the relationship. Not that it's, it's acceptable for her to have done it, but it just kind of sort of met to a point where, where do you take accountability for? Cause everything has got a reaction too. And I love that idea because I think, you know, in life, we always sort of, push it out and we're like, no, let them take responsibility. That person's an idiot and it's all his fault or her fault. And we don't sort of reflect on how our actions have actually influenced that particular situation or scenario. But I think that boils down to having truly high EQ. You know, you've got to be able to sort of well, develop it, deep <clears throat> into that space. It's self-awareness, right? Correct. Yeah. So like, you know, family relationships are a great place to start. So, like you, so like I'll talk about my dad, right? So we don't have the best relationship and I can give you a thousand and one fucking reasons why, yeah. but that would only be half the story, right? right. Because yeah. also what, if I was not self-aware enough, um, I wouldn't acknowledge that the situation is actually half my fault. Do you know what I mean? It's exactly what the because yeah. why couldn't I? Why can't I forgive him? You yeah. know what I mean? Or, and why didn't? Why don't I make more of an effort? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If now you're asking some tough questions. Yeah. And so, like breakups is another one. Well, she cheated on me, and so fuck her, bitch. You know? Yeah. Exactly. She, she yeah, can't believe she did that to me. Victim, victim, victim all day long. Mm. But that wouldn't be the full story because what was that? Why did she cheat on you? You mm. know what I mean? Were you not attentive enough? You know what I mean? Yeah. Did, were you not giving her? Or her needs were not being met. Yeah. And that's why people cheat. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't feel significant enough or they didn't feel there was no certainty in the relationship yeah. or too much uncertainty. Absolutely. But I love that concept of self-awareness because mm. it's a really, it's an interesting space. And I think that um, I'm not sure if we as, as, as individuals, we spend enough time in that space. I think we need to spend more time in it. I, and I always say social media disrupts us quite a bit. You know, it it's a time suck. A, <laughs> it is. It literally is. Would you rather be on Instagram looking at pictures? <laughs> you know, a friend of mine was quite funny. She said to me, I was thinking about it this morning. She says, Instagram, she came off Instagram. And I said, why? She says, it was making her dumb. <laughs> so I was like, but what do you mean? She says, I could not just continue looking at these pictures, but it's quite an interesting uh, I love Instagram. Instagram's great. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, that's funny because I also love it, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, am I really becoming dumb now? <laughs> Instagram's um, for cool people. Okay, I'll tell her that. Facebook, uh, not so much. <laughs> All the cool people left there and went to Instagram. Yeah, it's quicker, I suppose. It's like scroll, scroll, scroll. And so let's do quote of the day. So walk us through this one. So my quote is, have a commitment to excellence in everything you do or don't do it at all and leave a legacy that you can be proud of. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. That's it then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's standards, right? I mean, we're going to talk yeah. about leadership. and all. In, in fact, before we dive into all this stuff, why don't you hit us up with the second book that's coming out? Okay, so it's around authentic leadership. And 
it's about sort of understanding your narrative a lot more, um, going deeper, kind of the conversations we chatted about briefly now. But it's more around sort of understanding your crucibles, what, uh, what were your pains, what were your challenges that you've had, but not from the perspective of does it make you a victim versus not. And what, it's more around how is it sort of narrative, how does it influence your narrative? How is it impacted on who you've become? So I always think of a wonderful example. Um, a friend of mine grew up in a home where they really did not have cash, right? They didn't have any money. And uh, the one thing that was interesting about him is that when now that he's in the space where he's made a lot of money, he just sort of squanders his money. So he's gone from one extreme where living in extreme poverty to going to a space of actually spending all his money. And I don't know if, and when we have those conversations about how has that narrative influenced him, in my view, it can ne- possibly influence him in a negative way because of the impact on his family and his children, etc. So I think it's critical to sort of be mindful of your history and where you come from and never discount that impact, um, never discount what how it's shaped you as an individual. Um, it also, the, my book is going to focus a lot on, on emotional intelligence because I mm. think it trumps IQ. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of research around the fact that uh, IQ takes you to a certain extent in a story. And, and I think EQ is what takes you to the next level. It's like this, I think you've come across that book where talent is overrated. You know, you, you've got this natural talent that takes you to a certain extent. But if you've got a kid that's equally talented, not, well, less talented, but puts more effort into it and works harder at something, they will outdo that particular individual long term. And that's kind of my thinking, you know, EQ, um, you can have the, the smartest kid under the sun, but with that smart, might come arrogance and a lack of self-control, a lack of motivation. And I think EQ brings that kind of balance. And in business today, we need authentic leadership. South Africa has gone through incredible amounts of change. Um, you know, we've come off a history of such immense amounts of dishonesty and um, and it has such a direct impact into how businesses have actually delivered in terms of profits, share prices, etc. Um, there's a direct correlation between being authentic and having trust and honesty high up on your on your leadership style in terms of what what the output of a business is. And that's my thinking and that's my focus is really going deep, um, understanding different narratives, understanding how it influences us. A, a wonderful story that I, I that comes to mind is Howard Schultz of Starbucks. I don't know if you've ever heard about read about his narrative. But what was interesting about him, he grew up in very humble beginnings. And the incident that sort of triggered him to becoming uh, sort of sort of shaped his narrative was his dad was actually in a an accident. He had slipped on an ice bed, and uh, he was actually put off work. And at that point, he was the sole breadwinner at, at home. And it was at the time where his mom was seven months pregnant. And what was interesting about it was there was um, so she couldn't work. Dad was out of medical benefits, out of an income, and there was always conflict at home around um, and around the money and and not having enough funds. And he made a decision that he was going to build a business that always provided sort of benefits, medical benefits to employees, and certain benefits that would continue if su- such an incident happened. And that kind of led to the business that he's he's built, and even to the point that if he felt that the business was too commoditized, he would draw it back in and sort of re-strategize and make sure that the individuals are close to it. And that was kind of his narrative. And then you get, so that was a great story. Then you go to a guy called Rajat Gupta, who was an amazing, okay, I know he's not the South African Guptas. Oh, right. No, I, just to be clear, guys. Roger. Um, Rajat. Rajat was an interesting individual. He grew up in also very humble beginnings in India. And uh, he got into the IIT school, which is one of the hardest uh, technology institutions in the world to get into, and then navigated to um, the U.S., and he built a great career being the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and he was on different boards. And uh, what was interesting is that he had committed insider trading at the height of his career. He was, I mean, he was worth, I think at that point, in excess of, Probably two hundred million dollars at that point, right? So he's a fucking idiot, basically. Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
But what was amazing, understanding his narrative, when they went back uh, to sort of ask him the questions, and eventually he went to jail because of the insider trading, there was a gap between him and his level of wealth and the billionaire club, right? So he just, he had access to these individuals, but he never really fitted in because his wealth was not at that level. And and this kind of insider trading deal was the one that would sort of be the tipping point for him to to sort of be in that billionaire club. But in, in some of the interviews when they had conducted it, it was a story about how he still felt inadequate and uh, in, in the sense of like he came from such humble beginnings and even though he was constantly in the search of success, it was it, for him it was material success. It was tangible success. It wasn't about purpose-driven, this kind of this whole authentic con- uh, conversation. It was really about what he could tangibly feel. He always felt inadequate, and that was the reason for his decision and the and the con- and the reason why he had committed insider trading. And that's kind of my thinking: is to go into that space of understanding why do we make certain choices in life? Is it extrinsic versus intrinsic? Um, and understanding, you know, do we do we make those choices based on the wrong value system? How do we guide that value system? Hmm. But by understanding your narrative, you will probably make the right choices. But you've got to spend that time in that space, understanding it. Hmm. It's an interesting uh, subject to tackle. It's also almost impossible to answer. I don't know. Do you think how how are you going to approach something like that? Because if you think about the fact that you know there's seven billion people on the planet and everyone's yeah. completely different. Are you going to be putting forward like I don't know, up, you know, decision making models and stuff like that, or what no, are some of the? I think I'm going to do a storytelling. I think oh. it's more real, you know. Just relating to people is easier. So I think if I think of the South African examples, there's many great examples of people that have got authentic brands that have got authentic leadership styles, and then there's guys that don't. And I want to tell both stories. Mm. I want people to be exposed to both because you can't always give picture perfect, right? There's something that might help someone that might re- that's relating to an inauthentic person that might have committed fraud, as an example, um, but they're not there yet, and that might be a stopping point. Mm. It might make them realize. It's really just the ability, if you read the book and the, the context, is to kind of start asking the questions about yourself. I'm not going to solve everybody's problems, but it's literally just – Taking a step back. Be nice saying, if you did, though. I would like You'd to be a billionaire. <laughs> Save but, a billionaire. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's just to get people to think, you know, like, mm. um, and and to think in both contexts. We can't present things perfectly always. It doesn't mm. exist. So Tony Robbins has got a going back to that idiot chap, the Gupta, mm. the Gupta guy. So basically, he didn't feel accepted. So therefore, his needs, his need of of uh, needing to feel significant, wasn't being met. And so that's why he did what he did. It's funny, there's the six needs. So he, he describes it as, <clears throat> you know, there's four needs of the personality and two needs of the soul. So there's uncertainty. So you have to have some form of uncertainty. Uh, certainty because it's the counterbalance to that. So you need to be certain that, you know, this is going to happen when I do this thing. When I have this bottle of wine, I'm going to get drunk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but a mix, you know, along with that is the uncertainty, the risk or what happens, you know, if I have one too many, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And then there's uh, significance, love. And then um, the spiritual needs are growth. And then there's something else, connection. So he basically says that these are the six needs. So when he does consulting and stuff like that, that's pretty much what people need. It's always expressed differently. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when in a relationship, when, you know, Kate's pissed off with Matt, you know, and it's usually because there's a need that's not being met. Also, like growth is an important one as well. You know, if you're talking about excellence, you can never be an authentic leader if you're not growing people. Absolutely. And yourself. Yeah. You know. And I think also it's it's critical not to be an imposter, right? Um, I don't know if you've kind of explored that conversation. I have imposter syndrome. Yeah. I think I think all of us do to some extent. I think we do have that kind of imposter syndrome. But I think with Tony Robbins' concept, you know, if you kind of look at those six needs, you you'd probably navigate closer from not being an imposter. But I, I think the the idea is really about when I talk about excellence, it's really about being the best at what you're doing. I don't th- I don't care what you're doing. I think if you're street, sweeping the street, do it well. Um, if you're the CEO of a business, do it well. I just feel like as an individual, you should never wait for an opportunity to sort of display your best work. Because I think if you display your best work and you put your head down and you do what you need to do, the right opportunities come through. Mm. Uh, I'm a firm believer of that. 
There's that story about um, NASA at the time, like 1960s, when they were put, trying to put a man on the moon. And there was a janitor there cleaning the floor. Mm. And I don't know who it was. It was some like important person. So, and he said, oh, so, so what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm putting a man on the moon. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Every, I mean, every, if you think about it, in order for society to work, if everyone just sort of looked at their role as incredibly important, we'd function a lot better, you know, be it the person who navigates the traffic, be it the person who switches our lights on. I mean, if everyone had that kind of mindset, I've got to do what I'm doing because it contributes to the greater good of this country or society in general, I think we'd be a lot better. Um, we should never discount our role. As to what we are doing. So, if Cyril Ramaphosa, our president, was uh, chilling over there in the back and had nothing else to do, mm. and you were to impart your kind of words of wisdom around authentic leadership, or maybe you know give him a piece of advice around how to become a better leader or whatever it might be, what would that advice be? So, I think it, I, I must put up a disclaimer because I absolutely love Cyril. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an absolute fan. Um, my advice would be to him is just to make sure that as he progresses in this role, that he sort of takes himself back to his starting point of why he's actually wanted to be president. I mean, there's no reason, apart from being voted in and all of that, there must have been a purpose. There's a reason why he's there. And I'm a firm believer that he's chosen this journey for greater than himself because for me, in my view, it's not about money because he's an extremely wealthy man. Um, I do think that he's really committed to the country. But I think as he navigates through these next five or ten years, depending on his second election, um, it's critical that he always holds himself accountable but and also the people around him. I know he's a very strategic man. He's very he's very like due diligence and you know he's kind of ticks all the boxes. Um, but it will it's gonna get very tough for him. I don't think that uh, the economy is going to get to the place that it needs to in the next year. I think South Africans are very impatient and I think he's going to feel the pressure. And I think he just needs to hold true in terms of what his long-term value is. And that's how he's going to remain authentic. That would be my advice to him. Do you think he chose to be president? Do you think he, he was running around, you know, the streets as a young kid? Was he like, I want to be president one day? Or do you think he just got, you know, minted, you know, made a lot of cash, successful, mm. and was always part of the ANC, and then the ANC chose him? It was. I think he was strategic about it. Do you think I so? I think when... Nelson Mandela was released and there was huge opportunities from a BE perspective. I think there were a few handful of them that were very smart. Um, they went, the, they had a choice at that point, right? So they went either corp, uh, private or public. And I think they went the private sector. So they sort of navigated the legislation and made some lots of money. And it's not, I mean, he's just strategic in terms of how he's done it. I think he's, I think maybe secretly he's always probably wanted to sort of um, lead the country. But it wouldn't have been at the beginning stages of uh, the Nelson Mandela regime. I think he needed to sort of navigate his money first. And then I think once he's sort of ticked that box, he's transitioned into that. I do think it was a strategic move. It wasn't, mm. it wasn't something that he was growing up as a kid. So though. what advice would you give AJ Gupta? <laughs> AJ. I really think it's, it comes from a sense of pity though, right? I think... Um, <laughs> For me, I can't understand it. Like I think before I even get to the advice part of it, I think I just I would probably have to ask him the question of when would it have been enough? Like when would it have been enough for you to say, okay, I would not do this? Um, but the advice would be, was it worth? It? Like the question to me him was, was it worth it? You know, was was the lack of significance worth the transaction? Mm. And uh, I don't know what the answer would be. Well, he's a prick, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. What is that <laughs> saying? Like, um, you know, ab absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you just get some people who never have enough. Yeah. It's an element of greed, right? Mm. It's just that whole concept of there's that borderline of greed. And, and I suppose it's easy for us to criticize it. It's easy for you and I to criticize. It's like if I had $200 million in my bank account, as an example, why would I even be bothered? But I, we, we're not in that space. We don't really understand it. There's the psychology behind it. There's a history behind it. Um, so it's difficult to sort of navigate through it mm. as much as. Yeah. So why are you, why are you doing all of this? Like, why are you writing about authentic leadership and EQ and all this kind of stuff? What's the, 
what's the spark in that whole story? I care about it though. I Why really do you care do. about it though? Because it's my own Why journey. Why does it matter? It's my own journey. I think I, when you talk about leadership and you talk about sort of understanding yourself, this is a deep process for me. Mm. And it's a process that's important to me, and I'm hoping that my story and my the narrative that I'm going to share will sort of shift people's minds in terms of thinking of how important it is to them. I think the concept, when I wrote my personal branding book, I think it was literally just kind of telling, this is the advice and this is what I think works. But I think the space that I'm in right now is about navigating my own life and going through this own journey, and I want to share that journey with other people. Um and I want to, I want to sort of see what is the outcome of it. Like it's not a done deal. Um, I can't tell you that it's, I've got it down to a T because I don't. I mean, I wouldn't be searching for a coach if I had it down to a T or wouldn't be sort of going through this journey. Um, and it's, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I want, I want people to sort of start unlocking that conversation with themselves. Um, because it, it has a powerful impact on the people around us. Um, the our families, our, ch- our children, our employees—it just kind of makes us think differently. But more importantly, I think it, in some way, these minor steps will impact the greater good of the country. In mm. some way, you know, I don't have to influence a million people. Oh, I don't have to influence five million people. But if I can start a small. I think the impact will be greater at some point. So we spoke, we're speaking a lot about EQ and IQ and leadership mm. and, you know, authenticity and all this kind of stuff outside of Nelson Mandela. So you can't, everyone will point to him. Um, but outside of him, who do you think em- embodies these qualities today? Trump. No Trump. Oh, fuck. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I mean, seriously, guys, Trump is like <laughs> top of my list. <laughs> I love that guy. But you know, it's, I'm joking about it, but I, I actually do think he does have a live, a huge level of authenticity. Like he's a, he's a nut job, right? But, <laughs> but probably going to get into trouble, but, um, it's kind of like what you see is what you get. I don't know how to. The thing with him, right? Is but that he's still he's, got that power in a way, but he's polarizing, you know, and that's weirdly to your point it's like when you when you what you said in the beginning was like when you find your authentic voice which is clearly he's what i know it's weird and what have you but like the fact that he's found that you know but he's so fucking judged for it but he's also loved for it yeah you know what i mean and like i was at a we had friends around the house like two weeks ago for breakfast and the subject came up and um there's it's just weird you would think based on the media narrative that He's just hated, yeah. right? Outside of his small, deep south, you know, yeah. sort of fan club um, and the nationalists and so forth. Um, but it's not. Like people are saying that, you know, this guy, he's actually doing things that other more kind of liberal politicians don't do. Yeah. You know, like let's go see Kim Jong un, you know what I'm saying? And uh, let's go and put trade uh, taxes on, on the Chinese, you yeah. know? He's um, bold, right? He's exceptionally bold. But uh, it's but that's leadership. Yeah, and is I think it, that's what not? I like about him. But is I it bad or is it good leadership? It depends, right? So mm. I think so for, from an economic point of view, I think we're going to see what comes because we we don't know what this whole China uh, U.S. trade war thing is going to happen. Well, I mean, the outcome of it is. Um, I think there's two parts to it. There's the economic view, which I think is there's going to be a negative impact if you ask me. I think we're going to they're going to hit a recession. There's going to be those kind of issues that are going to come through because I think he's come off the Obama back and a lot of the historic stuff's kind of carried through. Are you saying um, about the stimulus packages that Obama implemented that yes, he's inherited? but also just the over over economic overview on the economic side. I think. Just on that, do you think he? Because you know he's always on Twitter, so I love following him because I just yes. want to I want to wake up every morning and know whether World War Three started. So. <laughs> so, he has so much power so, that man it's scary <laughs> but but do you think he do you think he inherited the economic growth that obama implemented definitely you think so yeah and I think uh, we, and it's interesting because when I was in the US, I kind of asked a few people about it. And one of the individuals was actually an economist for um, McKinsey at that point. And he was saying that, you know, he was kind of unpacking it. He's got the detail around it. And he says, you will see in the next year or two, there'll be a huge downturn as a result of that. 
Um, but in, in saying that, I think there's certain characteristics that I like about him. I don't love every element of him. I think there's, there's, there's elements of him in his sexist ways. I don't appreciate those yeah, kind sure. of comments. Um, but I do like his boldness. I love his, his ability to tell it as it is. Um, I mean, there's theories on him that he's kind of have, like, he's a little bit, he's lo- has got a loss of memory. So he speaks about something and he completely forgets about it. I mean, there's like conspiracy theories around that. I'd be interested to sort of explore that at some point. But, um, so, so just to go back to the, because he would be a poster child for your book. He would, eh? <laughs> you know Absolutely. I mean? Like, you can't literally, like, I mean, I can't leave him out of it. When's this coming out this year? Well, not this year. In the no. next four yeah, years. Okay. Definitely. Cause great. Cause that's kind of like basically, it's going to see how it works Because, out. like, you would, you would, if, if you're going to talk leadership, you have to talk about Trump. No, absolutely. Like, the two go together. Absolutely. I think what was interesting in the US when I asked a few people, I said, you know, he's so hated. Like, I remember being in New York and these guys were like, writing outside the Trump building about a year ago, two years ago. And I asked um, one of the individuals that was running a business in Boston, and I said, why Why was it that the U.S., why did these individuals vote for him? I don't quite understand it. And he said, he made an interesting comment. He said it was because a lot of people still had their internal biases about the fact that they didn't want a female president at that point because, you know, Hillary was in the mm. running, et cetera. And that was the reason why he was the better candidate. So a lot of Americans were still not comfortable, truly comfortable with sort of transitioning to a female president. And also with a history of being so dishonest, I think that contributed massively to it. But it was more around a male versus female president. And that's why people opted for him. So they didn't necessarily believe in his charismatic values or mm. um, his boldness, etc. This It's kind of like looking at the worst of the two and which is the best of the, of the worst in, in the picture. He just ran a better campaign. Yeah, I, I definitely you know? think so. Yes, definitely. I think if you swapped Hillary out with a man, that man would lose. His you think ca- so? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, absolutely. But I think if you had to, I think America's like super fucking liberal, eh? Yeah. Like, it's only in certain parts. Like, okay, like with this whole abortion thing oh, in like Alabama. I mean, yeah. you know, fuck, really? It's insane, really, guys? Eh? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Today's world. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But again, that's reactionary. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's systemic. And I think the reason why Trump, one of the other, my personal view, is just simply because this, the two party system's fucked. And so yeah. when they were like, well, hey, um, it's like, they're two bad apples, so I'm just going to go with Trump because, hey, his story was a yeah. better one. Billionaire, you know, yeah. go make America great again. And then she had too much baggage. She had too much baggage. Way I too agree. much. Plus, like with Bill Clinton, Gosh. by the way, cheating on her and stuff like that. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. They were part of our conference at uh, Discovery recently, and she was far stronger in terms of Who? how she articulated Hillary. herself. Yeah, she was much stronger. But you know who's two. much stronger is uh, Monica Lewinsky. I'm sure. <laughs> Do you know, this is a fun fact, this is a true story, it was on uh, John Oliver, that Monica Lewinsky's name is in over 3,000 rap songs. Cheapers. Talk about a personal brand, eh? <laughs> but like, you know, but you must, you know, you talk about authenticity yeah. and being judged and all this stuff. So then, so then she, you know, has a little bit of double with the old bill there, you know, mm. underneath the president's desk. <laughs> and, um, and then she gets yeah. crucified for it. Yeah. Like, uh, like out of any human being, like, and, and yeah. like, you must understand the American media, what that will, what they will do to you if they get a bone to chew on. Yeah. And they did. And they fucking chewed on that thing so badly that her name is referenced in over 3,000 rap songs. It's but remember, insane. the Americans are also very <clears throat> family-oriented, very culture-driven. That's kind of their value system, right? So it was a natural reaction. It was a – I mean, it wasn't – It wasn't a, I mean, take – if that happened here, I mean, Cyril was, I think, in the news for something similar um, just before the whole election process. But he wasn't taken to task the way Paul was or Monica mm. – um, I think it's just what are the value systems, values in the country that kind of drives that kind of hype around it. Mm. Um, and I think in the U.S. they're very strong on the on the family value side of it compared to any other part of the world. But I sympathise with Monica a lot here. Eh? I mean, she uh, destroyed her like yeah, absolutely. like completely. She couldn't get a job. 
No one would touch her. No one would speak to her. You think she's getting some royalties out of her songs? Yeah, well, Just you know, kidding. yeah, well, exactly. But <laughs> I don't think but, she's short of cash. That's the irony, though. right? But the thing is, you know, that whole experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you listen to her speak, yeah. and I highly recommend everyone go and have a look at that John Oliver show last week tonight with her on it. But you can see she's it's it's, it's made her into this powerhouse of a yeah. woman. So I don't know. I don't actually know how she makes cash now. But um, you would just. I was like, I don't think I could come back from that. Yeah. Most people would not. Absolutely. And that's character. And brand damage, right? And brand damage. I yeah. suppose it's like Oscar. Would he Bit ever recover? Right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. So let's wrap this up, uh, Kate. So last question for you: Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? So it's definitely not extrinsic factors. It's not like I have to provide for my family kind of thing. It literally is. It's always been there, Matt. It's always been a good work ethic, loving what I'm doing. Um, just kind of making life better for the people around me and having an impact and, and making sure that I make a meaningful contribution. And I know it sounds airy-fairy, but it literally is not that. Not at all, actually. It's not it's – not, there's no – not just about paying my bills and not about just doing what I need to do. It's not a job. It's not a, I literally love what I do. And I think I've kind of, and I, and I've evolved to that point. I think, I don't think I've always been there. I think I'm at that point now where I just look at life and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for mm. the opportunities that I have. I'm grateful for my health. Um, I just, I'm living in a very grateful space and, and it, for me, it's an important part. And, uh, and I think that's what motivates me. It makes me happy. And I'm happy. I think, you know, you've got to be happy. You can't be doing things and you're not happy. Awesome. Yeah. Thank Kate you. Midley, everyone. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right Right here at networkspace.coza. Thanks for checking out the Map Round Show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com